Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. All right, well, you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1, and we're going to study together verses 4 through 14 this morning. It's been two weeks, uh, I think, since we began our study in the book of Hebrews. And uh, this morning, God moves on from the opening three verses that gave us kind of a thematic description of the superiority of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He moves on now to a more specific, more detailed descriptions of Christ's superiority. See, in the rest of the book of Hebrews, God is going to tell us that Jesus is superior to Moses, that he's superior to the Old Testament priesthood, and in verses 4 to 14, this morning, that Jesus is superior to angels. I think for most of us, that would be a given, right? That Jesus is better than angels, that Jesus Christ is superior to angels. But in first century pagan religions and first century Judaism, even in the early church, it wasn't necessarily a given. There, there was in Judaism and in Christianity a very developed and a very studied angelology, the doctrine of angels. There was great interest in angels, even to the point where some, even in the church of Jesus Christ, fell to the heresy of of worshiping angels. Um, I remember when Krista and I first started dating, uh, 27 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, that's a while, ain't it? And uh, we were at Bible college. It had been about a month and a half since our first date, and I was kind of surprised that we were still together because I thought that was a one and done, and she might be, she might be good enough to go with me on that first date. But uh, our Bible college was in a very rural area of northern Wisconsin, and by rural, I mean that um, the nearest town, even the size of, of Dublin, was a half an hour away. Our our Bible college had their own water tower, which froze at one point, uh, froze solid like a big popsicle. But uh, it it was rural. And so it it was coming up. We began dating in October, and it was coming up in Christmas time. You were going to go home to your family. I was going to go home to mine because we'd only been dating for like a month, a month and a half. uh, But I felt like uh, I needed to get her a Christmas present, which was kind of difficult because the only town that had any kind of store was a half an hour away. They had a mall that made Biggs Park Mall in Lumberton look like the Mall of America, all right? Um, They had like two stores in it. And um, one of them, fortunate for me, was a Hallmark store. And so I scurried around there trying to find something that my ramen noodle budget uh, in college could afford. And I found a little crystal angel. You remember that? And uh, I think it was like $8 in 1993. And uh, I had a, it was a candle holder, little angel bowing in prayer. And so I went and found a burgundy candle, and I plunked that in the back of it. I said, this is, 
best I can do. And I gave it to her. Did you like it? She did. I think we still have it somewhere. I went looking for it last night um, to, to show y'all. But what was, I bring that up because it was funny to me. About a month later, I kind of apologized for such a, um, what I thought was a inexpensive or a small gift. And she said, it means so much to me. And I was like, really? And she said, well, when, when we started dating, you were different than anybody else I'd ever dated, you know? And I like that you got me an angel because, I mean, I really, there were times when I wondered if you were an angel. Now, 27 years later, I can assure you that is something that no longer occupies her mind. Um, but God tells us this morning that our superior Savior, Jesus Christ, he's better than angels. Let's read verses 4 to 14. Being made so much better than the angels, talking about Jesus still, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he saith, who maketh his ministers spirits and his angel spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son, he says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness, is a scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they shall all wax old as doth a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. And to which of the angels said, he at any time sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, uh, I pray that as we continue on here, uh, just learning and being reminded of the superiority of Jesus Christ that, that we would leave here this morning, not just uh, acquiescing to that fact and that reality, but we would live it out by making sure that there's nothing that has preeminence in our lives but our superior Savior. What a Christmas season that would be if we would yield to your Holy Spirit and to your word and we would live lives like that. I pray that you would do that for everyone that's here this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first reason we're given here uh, in verse, verses 4 to 6, that Jesus is superior, that he's better than angels, uh, is that he, uh, he has an equality, an equality with God. And uh, verse 4 uh, tells us that Jesus has a name above. God lets us know there in verse 4 that Jesus is better than the angels because he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So this inheritance is what the very end of verse 3 mentions, the current reigning position of our Savior uh, ascended into heaven at the right hand of God that he obtained uh, through his incarnation, what we're about to celebrate here in the month of December, and then through the redemption he gave us on the cross through his resurrection that we celebrate at Easter, and then finally uh, his ascension. 
Because of all this, Jesus has a name above all names. That's what we read earlier this morning in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. It's a name above all names because as God has the apostle Peter preach in Acts 4, 12, there is salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we may be saved. Allah, Muhammad, they cannot save us from our sins. Buddha offers no hope of redemption. Jo Joseph Smith uh, or the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witness with, with their rejection of Jesus as God. None of those can meet our greatest need because none of those are equal with God. But Jesus Christ is. None of those have a name above all names. None of those died and rose again. None of them are sitting at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. And none of those will return for us in triumphant victory. No, our Savior Jesus Christ, he's superior to all of these. And as verse 4 tells us, he's superior even to the angels. The rest of our passage this morning tells us why. It's not just a name above. Jesus Christ also has a name that is adored. Verses 5 and 6. He's superior to the angels because God alone said to Jesus alone what we read in verse 5. For unto which of the angels said God at any time, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. God never said any of those things to any angel or to anyone else apart from Jesus Christ. Now this verse here is a direct quote. If you've got a cross-reference Bible, you might see it's from Psalm 2.8, which is a messianic enthronement psalm. A psalm in God's word in the Old Testament written centuries before Christ would leave the throne room of heaven to be born in that little town of Bethlehem. And beginning here in verse 5, God unleashes this avalanche of quotes from the book of Psalms that not only point to Jesus Christ, but they're evidence that our Savior is superior. At the end of verse 5, another Old Testament verse is referenced when he says, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And here it's 2 Samuel 7, 14. And it's quoted to prove that Jesus Christ, our superior Savior, is the full and final fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. Let's look at verse 6. And again, when he bringeth in the firstborn into the world, God says, let all the angels worship him. What a great verse God gives here gives us here this morning on, on the first Sunday of Advent. What did the angels do uh, when God brought the firstborn into the world? They worshiped him, right? They adored him. He, he's a name above and he has a name that is to be adored. They worshiped him. We're going to read Luke 2, 13 and 14 probably a number of times here at church, but also I'm sure you will in your homes. Well, let me quote it for you right now. And suddenly, there was with that angel a multitude of the heavenly host, a multitude of the angel armies of heaven. And what were they doing? They were praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Is any angel, according to scripture, is any angel ever the rightful recipient of worship? No, never, not once. You'll never find that in Scripture. Even when angels would appear to human beings and, and would communicate to us, God sending them uh, on a mission with a message for us, and even when our normal uh, human freaked out response to that angel uh, was to fall down and worship, every time we see angels interacting with human beings in God's Word, uh, their response to us possibly doing that is what the angel told 
John in Revelation 22, 9, see that you do not do that because I am your fellow servant. Worship God. Every single time, God warns Christians through the Apostle Paul in Colossians 2, 18, let no one cheat you of your reward through uh, you taking delight in false humility and the worship of angels. It took place by some in the early church there at Colossae. See, there's only one who is equal with God. Only one who has a name above all names and only one who has a name that is to be adored. That's our superior Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Only then. His immutability. That's a, a second reason he is better than angels. And we find that in verses 7 through 9. That's just big, fancy theological jargon for our unchanging Christ. And we see his immutability in his person. Our superior Savior, because he is equal with God, he is one with God. Because of that, he is also unchanging. The end of this book defines him as such. It'll probably be a while before we get to Hebrews 13.8. But there it describes our superior Savior, Jesus Christ, as the same yesterday, today, and forever. And aren't you glad for that? I know I am in a world where change is not just a reality, uh, but it often happens at, at breakneck speed and where reliability is an anomaly, anomaly in people, uh, in circumstances, in relationships, even in our leaders. Our superior Savior, Jesus Christ, he's unchanging, doesn't change. Like the written word of God. Jesus Christ, the living word of God, he's uniquely rock solid and reliable. What about angels? Well, verse 7 says, And of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. The Greek word for spirits there is pneumata. Literally, it means winds, you know. It's often used in the New Testament for angels. And Psalm 104.4 is directly quoted here in, in verse 7. And by doing so, God is saying here in Hebrews 7 that it is Jesus who is in charge of the angels. Another reason he's superior to them. Uh, and that these angels, they're not only servants of God the Father and God the Son, but this winds and fire reference, it poetically describes the changing nature of angels. Just think about it. When you come across a passage in Scripture that describes angels, um, they look different, don't they? They all don't look the same, right? Um, think of the ones Isaiah saw as he had a vision of the, the throne room of heaven with God on the throne and his, his long robe, the train of it, filling the entire temple. And then he sees angels that we know as seraphim. How many wings do they have? Six. Two, they cover their face because of the holiness of God. Two, they cover their feet because of the holiness of God. Two, they fly around in service to God. A little bit different than some of the angel decorations we might have in our homes right now, right? Think of the ones Ezekiel saw. Some of them had eyes all over. I mean, all over their bodies. Uh, other ones that Ezekiel described, uh, four faces, one of a lion, one of an ox, one of a human being, one of an eagle, probably not identical to any of the decorations we have on the top of our trees, right? If it did, we might sing, oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree, how unique and somewhat frightening are your branches. 
But we don't need to fear. That is the normal human response. We find it in Scripture. Even Tommy's going to lead us on a study in, in the shepherds tonight. They're out there in the fields watching, and the angel comes and stands before them, announces Christ's birth. And either the first or the second thing that they say is fear not. Here he says, behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. But a fear not had to come beforehand. Changing nature of angels in Scripture is clear. There's nothing wrong with the angel decor we have. It's just clear from God's Word that there are many different angels. There's cherubim, there's seraphim, there's the ones with eyes all over. We call them ophanim. Uh, many different. But there's no different Jesus, right? He's unchanging. He's immutable in his person. What about his performance, verses 8 and 9? But unto the Son, God says, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Notice that. What did God just call Jesus Christ there? God. But unto the Son, he saith, God saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever, a scepter of righteousness, as a scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above Thy fellow. So we get this uh, powerful presentation of the divinity or, or deity, the equality of Jesus Christ with God. And here David uh, in Psalm 45, 6 and 7 is quoted. God's speaking to Jesus here. But to the Son, God says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Even his throne is unchanging and immutable and eternal. And our superior Savior, he reigns with a scepter of righteousness in his eternal, unchanging kingdom, uh, still flowing from, from his ascended position at the right hand of God that was mentioned in verse 3. Now this verse here, it echoes the prophetic messianic message of Isaiah 9, 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of his father David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from this time forward and forevermore. I don't know about you, but I cannot wait for that day when it's a reality here. It's already begun and Jesus in his ascended position, but it will one day be a reality. And we celebrate the first advent it ought to never occur without us as followers of Jesus celebrating his second advent when this is fully and finally fulfilled. Verse 9 describes why our superior Savior Jesus Christ has this ascended and anointed position of ruling because he loved righteousness and he hated iniquity or, or sin. Jesus came to live with us. One of our favorite Christmas names for Jesus Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. And he loved righteousness. And he hated sin. Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't and that we didn't live. He was obedient to every command in God's word. And as we learned in our scripture passage from Philippians this morning, he was obedient even unto death, even the death of the cross for our sins. No angel performed this. No angel ever did anything like that for us. And so, the worshipful surrender of adoring love and faith belongs to our superior Savior, Jesus Christ, alone. The salvation that we have in the person and performance of Jesus Christ, it is an immutable, unchanging salvation. It comes through Christ alone. It continues for us in Christ alone. And it will be brought to completion by Jesus Christ alone. Finally, we come to a third 
reason Jesus is superior to the angels, his longevity in verses 10 to 14. And initially we're reminded of Christ the creator. And it says in verse 10, And thou, Lord, in the beginning has laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hands. So once again, quoting from the book of Psalms here, this time Psalm 102, 25 to 27, God tells us in verse 10 that Jesus Christ laid the foundations of the earth and that the heavens are the work of his hands. It was a couple weeks ago, but we read verse 2 of chapter 1. What did it say? That God has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. So it's Christ who is the creator. Paul says so in Colossians 1.16. The apostle John said so in John 1.3. All things were made by him and not uh, and then nothing was made that wasn't made by him. Now, if our superior Savior, Jesus Christ, if he is the creator and he has created all things, well, that also means that he created the angels, right? So who is better, Jesus or the angels? The creator or the creation? Ah, uh, yes, it's Jesus. Who alone is to be worshipped then? Our superior Savior, Jesus Christ. And we will celebrate the incarnation in the weeks ahead but, but the birth of our Savior in Bethlehem, that was not his beginning. It was only the beginning of his road to Calvary here on this earth. As Jesus was prophesied of in Micah 5, 2, his goings forth are from of old. They're from everlasting. As creator, Jesus is superior to the angels in his longevity. He is alpha and omega, no beginning and no end. Angels have a beginning. They have a creator. And verse 11 tells us this, that the, the creation, the, the earth and the heavens, they will perish. They'll wax old. as does a garment. What about Jesus the creator? No. Thou remainest. Verse 11 describes what, what science, uh, I guess, officially first formulated in the 1850s, uh, the second law of thermodynamics, like the concept of entropy. If we would have just read this verse, we would have got that a lot sooner than 1850. That things are not getting better and better. I don't think anybody would dispute that. But worse, and actually worn out, creation waxes old like a garment. I mean, not the creator. Not our superior savior. And now God moves from creation. He moves from the beginning to the end of all things. And we are reminded of Christ the victor in verses 12 to 14. So now quoting Psalm 102, 26. Here in verse 12, God describes when Jesus will return. And like a vesture, he will fold them up. Fold what up? The foundations of the earth, the heavens above that he created. We sing of it. Who likes it is well with my soul? One of your favorite hymns, I'm sure. Lord, haste the day. Do it. <laughs> when our faith will be sight, the clouds will be rolled back as a scroll. Like a vesture, thou shalt fold them up. And they shall be changed. But Jesus? No. No, he's the same. Your years shall not fail. God teaches us in verse 13 that, that God never once said to any angels what he says right here. And in Psalm 110, where this quote comes from, uh, never said to the angels what he said to Jesus Christ, his son. He says, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. So the victory that Christ won at the cross and in his resurrection and his ascension, it will be complete when Christ returns 
as victor. Verse 14 reminds us that Jesus came with angels worshiping him at his first advent, and he will return accompanied by angels at a second advent. And not only that, but there's kind of a little final thing in here. Who do the angels serve according to the end of verse 14? Who do they minister to? You and I. Those who would be heirs of salvation. So yes, Jesus is better than angels. He's more superior to angels. Church, there is only one who is equal with God. There is only one who is unchanging. The only one who is eternal, and it's Jesus Christ, our superior Savior. The message of Hebrews is, is this, that Jesus is better, and that he alone is worthy of our worship. And that worship begins with faith. It begins by you coming to the grace of God, to us in Jesus Christ by faith. And so my question always has to be from this pulpit, have you, have you ever trusted in the person and work of Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Can you think back to that moment when you say, I'm done trying to figure out if my good will outweigh my bad. I'm done trying to work my way into right relationship with God or to receive eternal life. No. God, I believe what your word tells us, that it's only by your grace and only because of faith in your grace that I can have restored relationship with you and be assured of eternal life, that I can receive salvation by believing. If you've never done that, I pray that you do it today. We'll have a time of invitation, but don't wait for that. Do it right now while I'm still speaking. If you have questions about what that means on the back of our bulletin on our website, it tells you a little bit more information, but ultimately don't leave here without talking to me. There'd be nothing I'd enjoy more than to share with you how you can know that you've been saved. Christian, you who have done that, are, are you continuing your new life, your eternal life in Christ? Are you doing it by faith? He is on his eternal throne in heaven. Verses 1 to 14 have made that much clear. But is he on the throne of your heart? Or has he been displaced, even momentarily, maybe just recently, from that position in your heart? Has something caused you to forget that our superior Savior, he has exclusive claim to that position in your heart? And maybe it's a sometimes painful or frightening changes, the, the mutability of people in our lives or circumstances in this world. Maybe they have captured our attention or weakened our faith. If that's the case, won't you let the Holy Spirit remind you of your unchanging, immutable, superior Savior this morning? And if so, won't you come to him and worship as we close by, by emptying whatever has taken up place on that throne of your heart so there's room for him to return? Christian things here don't last. Relationships, stuff, will be folded up like a vesture. Wealth, health, doesn't last. But your superior Savior does. All those things wear out. Uh, but the longevity of the Alpha and the Omega, it doesn't. And it won't. So do you need to, this morning, strip any adoration you might have given to them, to things here, and commit with God's help to do what Paul encourages us to do in Colossians 3, set your affections on things above, where Christ is. He's on the throne there. Let him have the throne here. As time he comes, however the Holy Spirit's using the life-transforming word of God to call you to respond today, I just ask that you'd obey.